This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. I am really feel really, really privileged to be here tonight. I, um, I've been abstinent for um, just over nine years, and um, I lost a little over 25 pounds. And when I started, I was living in Brooklyn, New York, where there are meetings today, but uh, there were no meetings there nine years ago. And I, my sponsor, God bless her, sent me, my sponsor was long distance, um, and she sent me a bunch of tapes. And I used to put these tapes in my Walkman um, back in the day. I was 23 years old, um, put these tapes in my Walkman, and I would walk around, you know, wherever I had to go to the subway or whatever. I would go jogging with the tapes. I played them in my car when I drove six hours out to meet my sponsor for the first time. Um, so these tapes meant a lot to me. Um, when I was a few months abstinent, actually, yeah, really just a few weeks abstinent, I moved to Providence, Rhode Island, where there are meetings today, but there were no meetings nine years ago. And um, we had qualifiers come down from the Boston area pretty frequently, but mostly we listened to tapes. So these really um, meant a lot to me. I feel really privileged to be able to, to tell my story. So um, as I said, I'm, uh, I'm 32 years old. Um, if you did the math, <laughs> you figured that out. Um, and I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. I have two older sisters. And I usually mention in my qualification that I really had a happy childhood. Um, I was a thin kid. I don't remember a lot of obsession with food. I always liked food a lot. I always loved being stuffed. Um, I loved that feeling. But I, um, I just know that nobody made me a food addict. In fact, the more I think about it, I mean, the more I've thought about it over the years in this program, is that I actually think that the support and love that my family provided me um, kept my disease from really taking off when I was really young. Um, the fear, doubt, and insecurity, I can see the strains of it in my childhood. In fact, what I've seen recently, thinking back um, and through fourth steps, through working the, the steps of this program, is that it's the running joke in my family that um, with my husband and my kids, my kids are only three, so it's really the running joke with my husband that I don't do, I don't do anything I'm not already good at. <laughs> so, and I think that was really true for me as a kid. I found friends that made me feel comfortable, and I had good friends, but I didn't go outside that circle. I stuck with what I was good at, and I was good at a lot of things. I was not the star kid. I wasn't the smartest kid in the class, but I was like the second smartest kid in the class. I wasn't the best athlete but I got picked in the middle of the bunch. You know, I, was, I could hold my own in most things. And if I could do that, I would participate. If I couldn't do that, you didn't see me again. Um, for example, I have sisters five and seven years older than me. The game I hate more than anything is Scrabble. Now, I'm a smart gal. I'd probably be good at Scrabble, but when I was, you know, seven and top in my class in spelling, or probably second best in my class in spelling, <laughs> I'm gonna be accurate, um, you would think I would have liked that game, but my sisters would cream me in it. So I won't touch a Scrabble game to this day. So that's the kind of thing I, I really see that pattern in my life. Um, 
As I said, I was a skinny kid. It never crossed my mind that food and my weight were connected. I was short. I was skinny. I had brown hair. I was white. Like, all those things seemed to me the same kind of... I could no sooner change my body than I could change my skin color, is my point. Um, and it didn't... I just didn't make any connection between those two things. Um, my family was pretty healthy. Uh, my mother didn't provide us with a lot of junk. When I could get my hands on it, though, I ate the whole thing. And that I remember from, you know, very, very young. By the time I was in junior high, my sisters had left the house. My mom had loosened up a little. And, you know, when I'd go to the supermarket with her, I'd, I'd get away with throwing a bag or a box in the cart, and I'd go home that afternoon and eat it. There was no you know, rationing anything out for a week, it was just gone. And my mother would say, be careful not to ruin your dinner. And I was like, what does that mean? You know, there was, I had no sense of what that meant to ruin your dinner. I could eat this bag of something and I could eat the dinner if it was good. And I could eat, a, you know, a whole thing of something for dessert if it was there. It wasn't always there, but if it was there, I could eat it. What I also think I could do, though, was move on. You know, it didn't, I didn't have the obsession the way I would have it later on so that if it wasn't in the freezer, I probably went upstairs and did my homework. Um, I, uh, so that's, it's funny, I found um, freshman year of high school, um, we had to fill out some form about, you know, our, what's your favorite color, what's your favorite movie star, what's your favorite song, that kind of thing. And it said, what's your favorite thing? I found it um, tucked in my yearbook, and then they gave it to us when we graduated. It was supposed to be like how I've grown over the past four years, but I found it about a year. I'd already opened it, but I found it tucked into my yearbook um, right after I got abstinent. I said, what's your favorite thing? And I'd written food, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I, so clearly I had some kind of funny relationship. I was always proud of how much I could eat. Um, and in high school, I was like notorious for the amount, you know, I would eat five of the thing you're supposed to eat one of, like the main meal product. I would just I could just pack it in when it was there, but again, I think I could move on. I was pretty active. I probably had a good metabolism. I don't know. Um, on the other hand, like another thing I realized was when I started college, I was about five pounds, maybe eight pounds more than I am now. I was still in a reasonable body. I wasn't fat by any means, but I thought I was skinny, 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 because I'd always been skinny. Like I said, look, I have brown hair. You know, this is how I am. I just am this way. And when I look back at pictures, I'm like. I wasn't that I, I wasn't skinny. I was thin-ish normal, but I wasn't skinny. So I didn't either have a, an accurate perception of the fact that what I was eating actually did change my body. Um, I, uh, um, yeah, I wrote about this, um, so some of you may have just read this, but I did a, an eat-off um, freshman year with a football player. Um, freshman year of college, um, where we tried to see who could eat more of this particular food item. And on the fourth one, he was like, I'm out. And I was like, woohoo! Like, I could really pack it in um, and took some pride in that. I, I um, started dating someone my freshman year. And I don't know if this is going to make any sense, but I started to restrict my food. Um, and I know the reason was for attention. Remember, I didn't think anything was going to happen to my body. I just wanted somebody. I was always, this is the point where that, what we call like that God-sized hole, that gaping hole inside of me, that needy, needy hole um, for attention, for love, which I'd gotten as a child. 
I mean, I really do think I'd gotten it as a child, and here I am off at college, and, you know, someone who's not an addict, you know, I don't know, something else fills that hole. But for me, that hole got bigger and bigger. And um, I wanted I wanted attention. I, what I wanted was my boyfriend to be like, oh, sweetheart, you're... You're okay, you know. You're you're so thin already. Why don't you eat this? Don't don't hurt yourself. Don't restrict this. You know, today I just see it's just incredible self-centeredness. The truth was, the guy didn't pay any attention to what I ate. You know, he didn't pay any attention. So here I was. I had this martyr complex about um, restricting food because it was never that I didn't want it. I always wanted it. So if I said no to something, somebody. He would never have noticed because he probably said no to something. He was a normal eater. Oh, no thanks. So he didn't think anything of what I did. But when I said no thanks, I was, it was like the violins and the poor me because it really was a tremendous sacrifice for me to say no to something I wanted or to eat half a portion of something I wanted. And boy, I was just such a martyr, you know, just such, and nobody noticed. I did drop weight. I probably lost, I probably lost about 10 pounds. Um, and then people people noticed that I'd lost weight. Nobody noticed the way I was eating or cared except me. I was obsessed with how I was eating, um, and it became a central focus of my day um, every day. Um, and I remember people saying, um, you know, oh, I just can't lose weight. I just can't, you know, I can't lose weight. And I just thought, what's your problem? Just don't eat it. I have tremendous willpower. Um, and that's also why I know that, that there is a God because I really have tremendous willpower and I didn't believe in God as a kid I, I grew up going to church um, I think I didn't need to believe in God because my willpower served me so well um, for so long there was, there was one incident um, I, I used to race I was a runner and um, I was a terrible sprinter but I had to sprint and I always came in last but I always came in first or second in the mile and um, there was a girl who was slower than me, and she took off ahead of me one time. And I was like, there is no way. Oh, by the way, I always came in second in the mile behind this girl, Emma. And I never tried to beat Emma because, like I said, I never tried things that I was going to fail at. So I never tried to beat Emma. But Emma wasn't there that day, and there was this other girl who I always beat. And she took off ahead of me. And I was like, this is not happening. And I just turned it on. I mean, I sprinted around that track, you know, four times around that track, finished in like, I don't know. I mean, I was probably four foot ten. I finished in under six and a half minutes and crossed that line, lost to the girl, couldn't believe it. She turned around, and it was some girl three years older than me. But when I want to turn on the willpower, I turn it on. I um, got blazing headaches as a kid, really, really blazing migraines that were never diagnosed by, I, I don't know why, but... Um, they were really, really, really debilitating. And I would never turn to paper in late in high school. I remember just bleary-eyed, you know, in front of the computer, finishing up these papers that were excellent papers. I mean, I never turn in a paper without a period or a comma missing. I just, I have incredible willpower. And I applied it to food, and it served me well, and I got really skinny. Uh, I didn't look good, by the way. If I could pass around my pictures, um, you would see I look a little bit like a scrawny chicken. But um, I was skinny, and it mattered to me that I was skinnier. I, I, I was one of those people that walked into the room and checked everyone out to make sure I was the skinniest person. Um, I wasn't always, but I, I had a boyfriend my senior year 
um, and I had who I broke up where he broke up with me or whatever happened then got together with a friend of mine who was about 30 pounds overweight and I was like I, I couldn't understand it I was like what but I'm skinnier than she is like I it it was like my whole like basis on which I founded my world was based on I'm okay if I'm if I'm the skinniest um, and again no one else cared as much as I did I, I was very successful with that um, restriction um, for about probably about two years and it started to unravel it it, it started to unravel um, and I always thought I could go back and turn on that you know, turn the turn the handle and go back to that control again. And I was never, I was, I was able to do it once more, but it was much more severe. I didn't know how to eat normally because normally to me had been eating those bags and boxes, you know, one at a time. So I thought that's what normal eating was. So I told myself, I'm going to go back and I'm going to eat normally. This restrictive thing, I'm hurting myself. This isn't okay. So normal to me would be I worked um, in a coffee shop and I would take home the baked goods at the end of the day and normal to me would be to eat eight of them or that wasn't normal and then I would eat eight of them and I would feel sick or I don't know really that I felt sick actually to be honest it really took I, I did eat myself sick later on and I'll get to that point in the story but this didn't actually make me feel sick I loved eating I loved that feeling of feeling stuffed I felt scared that I was going to get fat which of course I did start gaining weight um, and I remember after junior year, I, um, I went to Europe with, I, I have a few Europe stories that are just so painful to me. I went to Europe twice. Um, I went to Europe more than that, actually. I, um, I bummed my parents' frequent flyer miles, and I had a best friend living in Italy. But this is right before she moved to Italy. We, she and I went around Europe together. And I just remember having no idea who I was. I didn't know how to dress. I didn't know um, how to eat. I didn't know what was normal and what was not. I was so lost. I was so completely lost. And, um, and I, I gained a significant amount of weight by the time I got back to, maybe it was only like 10 pounds, um, maybe it was 15. Um, but I just remember feeling so incredibly uncomfortable in my body. And I'd always been a skinny person. This was just unheard of to me. The first time I lost weight, I hadn't considered that I was overweight. Um, and then the second time, I really was pudgy at this point. By the time I entered my, my senior year, I really was a little bit pudgy. And um, that was just completely appalling to me. Um, what I also see in this time is how often I put myself in terrible situations. Um, really, um, when I say terrible situation, terrible to me, hurtful to me put myself in situations that really, really hurt me. Um, I was a really, really moralistic teenager. Um, I grew up very political. I grew up with, you know, this is right and this is wrong, something I've had to look at a lot um, in recovery, um, that there are shades of gray in the world. Um, but this was right and this is wrong. And one of the things, just for example, that I determined was wrong was um, taking any drugs that were bought off the streets because over the summers what I did was I worked in inner city Washington and I saw what the drug trade did so I was like look if you're going to smoke pot that's fine I don't have any judgment over that I had lots of rules um, and I had rules for myself you know at 16 you know um, okay 
you know, it's okay to have sex before marriage, but you have to be, um, it'll be like at least a year and you'll be on the pill and use another form of birth control. You know, it was like I had these things and then when push came to shove, forget it. And then I would have to revamp my, um, mo my morals to fit the situation. Isn't there some little quip like that that a, I'm not going to get it right, but that an addict changes her morals to meet her goals? I know somebody out there knows it, and you're all keeping your mouth shut. But anyway, you get my point, and um, um, yeah. So I would, I just that was my story, definitely. And and so by the end of senior year, um, when I was graduating, I was so far from the person. I felt like I was on this trajectory in my life, and then all of a sudden, somewhere in the middle of college, I just shot off, you know, in some different direction. Um, you know, I, I, there was alcoholism in my family, so I knew perfectly well, you know, that I needed to be careful around drinking, but I loved, I loved getting drunk. I didn't drink every day. I didn't even drink every week. But when I did drink, I sure didn't have one drink. I got trashed. And then when I got trashed, you know, I would get myself into a bad situation with, I mean, I was going to say a bad situation with men. The truth is that I was very, very lucky, and I was never hurt um, in any way physically at all but I hurt myself um, I for example that guy who hooked up with the friend of mine who was a little bit overweight was really clear to me senior year that um, he was not I had two boyfriends that were very explicitly clear to me that they were not interested in a relationship one was junior year and he was a senior and graduating the other was senior year and he was like I'm not interested in getting into a relationship and I just chose to ignore that I just figured when they got to you know it's that egomaniac with an inferiority complex oh but when he gets to know me he'll fall in love with me before my before my disease just took off in that that direction um, every man I'd been with I'd broken up with after that point when my disease took off I got dumped by everybody you know there, I don't think that's a coincidence I am married now and I have two kids and I would never ever ever be in the marriage I'm in today because I look back at the you know the trajectory I, I um, and, and my behaviors. I needed to really put a stop to those behaviors and learn who I was um, as a sober person. Um, and then I was in a completely, completely different place when I met my husband. I knew who I was. I wasn't just, you know, this gaping hole of neediness. Um, so no wonder guys ran the other direction, you know, no one wanted to commit to me. Um, and I got to the point where I wasn't even, I would easily say, he's not the guy for me. But I didn't care. I wanted him to fall in love with me. And I would say that. I mean, that, this wasn't something I discovered later. This was something at the time I was like, I just want him to fall in love with me. And then I could throw him by the wayside. Um, and all I did was just cause myself anguish and anguish and anguish. And even though it was anguish, it was also drama. And I love drama. So it would be like picking a scab. Um, I just think of the hours I spent, you know, chewing, you know, chewing off the ears of my friends, you know, they had to listen to these dramas, you know, around and around, and the ex-boyfriend over and over again, it's like, oh my God. But I did manage, um, back to the food, I did manage to, um, to um, put my finger in the dike one more time, hold back the floodwaters one more time senior year and get skinny again, and man, did I grit my teeth and get skinny again. You know what? I actually never got, um, I'm 114 now. I never got below 118. Um, I never, and I was eating 500 calories a day. I was really restricting that food. 
Um, but I think I just, I don't know, my body probably just shut down because it was freaked out that I wasn't eating anything. I started exercising for the first time. I really just, I eat the same thing every day. I eat no breakfast. I eat about a hundred calorie thing for lunch um, and a half a bowl of fat-free soup for dinner. Um, and that's what I ate. And I just, like I just held on. And I was paranoid. I had another, another boyfriend. Um, none of these lasted any time. Only one did, the first one, um, who invited me over for dinner one night and um, made me um, something that's slightly fattening, but served me a small portion. And I literally felt like he was sabotaging my plan. I, I did, quote unquote, succeed in not going downstairs and binging after eating that, but I felt sabotaged. If you offered me something, I had another friend once I was holding my, you know, 100 calorie lunch, and he was like, oh, can I have a bite? And I wanted to punch him in the face, like, no, this is all I'm eating from like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So, but I mean, it's just so um, obsessed with my food and how I ate it. Um, I was in a play that spring. Oh, I was such a maniac. Um, I was in a play that spring and we had to take a bite of something. And I just was like, I mean, it was probably uh, two and a half calories. And I just was neurotic about having it because putting it in my mouth, is, as I know now, set off the craving. And so I set off the craving at lunchtime when I ate my thing, and I set off the craving at dinner, but God forbid I set off the craving any, you know, it was just, I just had to hold on. I was holding on so tight. I was a total maniac. I was writing my senior thesis. It was damn good, and I say that because I was high-functioning. You know, I, my willpower, I could really, really pull it off. Um, I was skinny, I was exercising, I was, you know, writing my brilliant senior thesis, and, and I would lie in my bed and cry, just sob my heart out. And I'd call my friends up, and they would come over, and they would hug me, and I'd be like, I'm just so lonely. And then I would continue to do the same thing over and over again. I, I had absolutely no... When the food was down, the alcohol was up, by the way. When the alcohol was up, I got myself in more trouble um, with promiscuity, and um, it was just very miserable. That summer after I graduated, I was terrified. I'd always been a fantastic student, and I had no more syllabus. And I was—I felt like my friends used the word, they graduated us, and that's how I felt, like boom, they'd like booted us out. And um, yep, I felt like I was drop kicked out onto the pavement. Um, and I gained weight that summer, and then I moved to New York, Brooklyn, New York, and joined a gym, and they gave me free nutritional you know consultation and the guy told me about calorie counting and I was like oh my god this is the answer everyone's known this answer all along it didn't occur to me that everyone else didn't have the same feelings about food that I did it didn't cross my mind that if somebody said no thanks I was like oh I knew I knew their game if they said no thanks they were controlling because that's what I did no thanks but inside I was strong but you no know, other people actually were full or, <laughs> or or could understand that that was enough or I had a friend once who I said hey do you want one of these you know fattening things or desserty things he said no thanks I've had my treat for the day like what I had these moments of clarity it was like Chung, the light would come on and and it would show me as I really was you know what you only have one people just have one like what and then it would I would just kind of uh, 
move on, just ignore it. But um, this calorie counting thing, I just assumed that every, this, everybody else knew this answer except me. And it was great. It worked great for a while. Um, you know, I was given this little food plan. I ate five times a day. Boy, was it hard to limit myself to, you know, the two flour and sugar, whatever it was that I had before bed. But, you know, it was great. And then I, you know, said, well, if there's calories, and I can get this low-cal this, and then I can have double as much. And then if I, but then I always ran into the problem of what if I want to have a glass of wine, then, and I asked him, and he said, well, then you'll have to subtract that from something else, and that I could never do. That's where I hit, that's where I hit the wall. And as I told you before, I never had a glass of wine. A glass of wine to me put me to sleep. There was absolutely no point. You know, I wanted three or four or five or whatever. I, I, I don't know how much I drank when I drank. And, um, but I, I did get trashed, and I thought I was adorable. I was pathetic. I mean, absolutely pathetic, but boy, did I think I was adorable. You know, falling all over someone, take care of me. Take me just, you know, so sad. So sad. Um, so anyway, that fell apart. The calorie counting thing fell apart, and I found another solution, or so I thought, which was a book about compulsive overeating. And it told me to eat whatever I wanted and to stop when I was full. And, you know, and that my problem was that I'd restricted too long. And man, was that music to my ears. Oh, I'd restricted too long. Poor me. Poor baby. Eat whatever you want. Oh, that was, I would say that was great, but it wasn't great. It sucked. And if it was great, I'd be doing it today. And I don't even mean just if it had gotten me thin because it certainly didn't do that. I said, the book said, you might gain some weight early on. Well, I packed on 20 pounds in two months or something. I busted out of my pants. Um, like I said, I'd never been, I'd always thought of myself as a skinny person. This was absolutely mind-boggling to me. Mind you, I was waking up every morning, running four or five miles a day, training for a marathon with someone. So I was running 20 to 25 miles a week while I put on 20 pounds and trying to restrict my food. I don't come from huge numbers, but let me tell you, I did, I did some real damage, or I did some real work to uh, get to those numbers. Um, it was just so painful. I mean, I think the thing that I want to express today is how very much I wanted not to be doing what I was doing. Um, I just got increasingly out of control, and I don't think I was completely hopeless. You know, I still had that willpower that had always worked for me, and I could really keep it together sometimes for a couple of days. And there were definitely moments when I didn't binge. Oh, I didn't binge. I did it. I went for a run instead. Or, you know, I, I went to my therapist and I didn't binge. You know, I, I would do it. It would be like, yes, I did it. It would be this wonderful moment. And then, bam. I had never heard the expression, when, when is the other shoe going to fall, till I got here. And it didn't make any sense to me, but I knew exactly what it meant. Because that's what it was. When is that other shoe going to fall? Um, it just always fell. I, um, I would, I would uh, you know, I still do this in abstinence because I remember doing it with a tape. I remember whose tape it was. Um, I, I would run to my therapist's office um, from Brooklyn into, on 14th Street into Manhattan. I'd run over the Brooklyn Bridge um, playing my little F.A. tape. Um, I, uh, but I would do that. I would run to my therapist's office and I would take the subway home um, or I would take the subway and I would eat my way home or I would eat my way there. I just, I w was in therapy, by the way, to deal with my eating. Like, that was the reason I went. And do you know I never told that man what I really ate? I know that because after I got abstinent, he would say, could you eat such and such? And I would just look at him. 
He was like, could you eat a whole such and such? And I was like, for appetizers. I mean, and he was like, you never told me that. I never told him. I told him I was binging. I never actually told him what I did because I had so much shame. Um, and I really did eat myself silly. Um, I, I, I would literally, my binges would go to 10,000 calories. Um, I was, I felt like a, I was a walking calculator after having tried the calorie counting thing. And I, I would start adding and when I would get to 10,000, it was like the springs would pop out of my head. I just, it was insane. I ate myself so sick. I'd be curled up in fetal position on my bed. And then I would cry. And I, ha I would cry in this way that, um, I call it like the vomity cry. It was like, it was that, I, it, it was so painful. The way, it was just so painful and it was so hopeless. I just, I just didn't know why I was doing this and I would finish crying and I wouldn't know what to do and I would go eat more. Um, I never threw up, um, thank you God. Um, although many, it was one time I really tried just because I was in so much physical agony. I didn't know if I could get, I'd been binging all day. I went to dinner with my grandmother in Manhattan and I swore to myself, you know, I was just going to eat a tiny bit and I ate everything on my plate. Every, I mean, I would eat the um, garnishes on my plate. I really, I really ate crazy, crazy, crazy ways and I, when I got up to go to the bathroom, I couldn't stand up straight, literally. Like it was, un it was bizarre. I was hunched over. Um, and I tried to throw up to give myself some relief. And I, you know, I, I didn't see that as my solution any more than I saw running as my solution. You know, I knew that I needed to stop eating the way I was. Um, I knew if I burned 500 calories, that was nice, but that it wasn't going to make a dent in my binge, my 10,000 calorie binge. I, I was, I'm a smart girl. Um, I knew that throwing up would rot my teeth and it, it was just never really an option for me. I, I, I firmly believed I could somehow stop and I tried. Um, I tried yoga, um, I tried and there were days, I remember I went to this six o'clock yoga class. I was teaching elementary school, mind you, at this time. I would go to the 6 a.m. yoga class right before school and oh, I would feel the peace coming through the meditation and the yoga and I'd be like this is it this is my answer this is it you can do it and then I would and sometimes I would I would go to school and I wouldn't binge that day but then boom you know the next day I would or I went to acupuncture okay this is it this peace I feel just hold on to this I would make myself tapes um, I made myself this whole tape full of songs like the kinks better days and Bruce Springsteen also has a better days song and you know just I would just I, I, I tried. I really, really tried. Um, and I, I just kept failing. Um, and there was one time that I, I just lost 10 pounds um, and my friend from Italy, the same friend, um, she w lived in Puerto Rico and she flew through JFK on her way home from Italy for the holidays and I went to JFK to meet her for like her hour layover. And she had a boyfriend who was a baker. And there was this particular item that he made that I had loved. So when I was in Italy, um, she had known that I really loved this. Little did she know that when she went to work, I would go, I don't speak any Italian, mind you. I would go to bakery after bakery um, trying to and buy this stuff to binge on. So she thought I was picking away at what her boyfriend had made in the house. But really, I was binging on the stuff throughout the streets of Italy, going from bakery to bakery and my, pantomiming what this item was so that I could get it. 
So she arrived with this enormous box of this stuff um, in JFK, and it was literally like someone had just handed me a loaded gun. Like, although with a loaded gun you have a choice, you know. To, I, I just knew. I just looked at that stuff, and I was like, "Oh, thank you so much." You know, her boyfriend had made it for me, and I just knew. Oh my God, I knew I wasn't going to make it home, and I didn't. That entire box was gone by the time I made it. By the time I got home, my students would give me treats, and there was nothing I could do but eat them. Um, I went to some really low levels. Um, I, um, I ate my students half-eaten food out of the trash can, second grade, third graders, half-eaten foods out of the trash can um, because I thought I would deny myself later, I guess, and there it was. I would go to bakeries and just and um, say, well, how many of these do I need for a party? And, you know, you know, buy amounts for a number of people and then eat them all myself. I would walk around the streets of Brooklyn just binging and binging. It was so unbelievably painful. And I really believed if I just hit bottom enough, um, I would just stop. If I just hurt myself enough, you know, there, was, there were points that I would say, okay, just let go. You know, people say I never ate the way I wanted to eat. I ate the way I wanted to eat because I thought if I just eat all of this, then I will exhaust this demon inside of me. Um, and I never exhausted that demon. Um, and there were times where I just I've done it. Uncle, I cannot, I cannot do this anymore, uncle. But I didn't have a program. I didn't have a solution. So there was no uncle. I just would do it the next day. And then I felt crazy. I, I, I was crazy. I felt crazy. And yet on the outside, um, you know, I was... I looked put together. I mean, I bathed. I showed up for work. Um, by the time I found this program, right before I found this program, I, I just lost a little bit of weight. Um, you know, I was running 20, 25 miles a week, so I was in great shape. Um, I had just gotten into um, graduate school. Um, I had also, at the same time, been offered a job, a permanent job at the elementary school I'd been teaching at. And I was also interviewing for other jobs. Um, and I remember st sitting in one particular interview. I could come off very well. I could, you know, present myself very, very well. And I could see the person was really into me, really liking what I had to say about my teaching. And I was really making a great impression. And I thought, you know, I had the smile plastered on my face. And I thought, you know, you don't know that when the kids are in gym, I go to the faculty room and you know grab the free food and sit in the bathroom and stuff it in my face you don't know I go to Starbucks and shove things in my face I remember looking at myself in the mirror in the bathroom of Starbucks once like you pig I was shoving food in my face because I had to get it in in my 10 minute break and just you just you pig why why are you doing this it was absolutely like heroin um, so I um, found this program and it wasn't exactly this program yet. Um, I met somebody who worked this program. And she um, shared with me that she didn't eat sugar and flour. And she weighed and measured her food. See, I didn't want to work. You know, it would have been so easy to have a revelation. And then I would have, and then I would have thought that that would, boom, that would have done it. Then I wouldn't have to eat anymore. Um, and that's what I wanted. Um, I didn't want to work. Um, I wanted to have this organic easy relationship with food where I would stop where I was full because that seemed like it would be easy 
oh, I mean, boy, what I do today actually really does feel very easy. It wasn't easy at first, but it's really easy today. Um, so anyway, I thought this poor girl, that's just, that's just so wrong. Um, and in that time, um, the two weeks between when um, she told me about what she did and when I started this program, I went, it took my 12-year-old cousin to Paris and um, to visit a friend of mine. And that was like forced detox because I couldn't binge. My French friend kept saying, oh, mon Dieu, mon Dieu. She thought we were eating so much. She couldn't believe how much we were eating and how many treats we were having. I was like, like out of my mind because I couldn't be alone to go on one of my binges. And I was, I was, I was going out of my mind. I had made a decision to not eat sugar and flour. I was going to take that much of this girl's plan not eat sugar and flour and I told my 12 year old cousin I'm not going to eat sugar and flour um, my doctor says I'm allergic to it just lied blatantly and um, they put that food in front of us on the airplane and I turned to her and I was like oh well now's not the time to start so forget that it lasted you know an hour I just could not do it I had no willpower left around food not none I shouldn't say that because the truth is I had some and I could hold it together for a day or two but I could not eat sugar and flour at that point um, and I you know Anyone else would have said I binged my way through Paris, but um, I know that, um, that um, it was, I mean, it was not the kind of binging I would have done if I was on my own. So at any rate, we got back, um, and I was like shaking with, I, w I really, the normal, I was living in the ground floor of my aunt and uncle's brownstone. Any normal person would have gone up, you know, we returned back, um, would have gone up and um, shared about the trip. I dropped my bags and went out and binged. Um, so at any rate, the next day I called this woman um, and she gave me the number of a sponsor um, who started sponsoring me. And it seemed crazy to me. I just, I kept saying, well, what about this? What about this? And, you know, she just gave me this program like it is. And, and I tried it. Um, I tried it, but I tried it my way. She um, had just adopted a brand new baby. Um, and I was single yet somehow I didn't have time for quiet time and somehow I didn't have time to go to all my meetings when I really didn't want to and somehow I didn't have time to make phone calls I just kind of did what I wanted to and didn't do the rest and it didn't work um, six weeks later I was binging again it was April 30th um, 1998 and I was out in the streets of Brooklyn with a box of stuff. I remember standing in line to buy that. First I binged on my uh, non-sugar and flour food. It wasn't abstinent food. Obviously it was outside of my food plan, but first I binged on that. Then I binged on my room, started stealing my roommates sugar and flour. And then I was out at my, my old stores again, all the delis in Brooklyn, New York, and I was shaking. And I was looking at the case trying to figure out what, what was going to do it, what was going to do it. And um, nothing was going to do it. So there I was walking the streets of Brooklyn thinking, I cannot be this person anymore. Because I'd had a taste of abstinence. I'd really had a taste of what it felt like. And I felt so good. People would say to me, you know, you're glowing. You're glowing. And three different people used those words. Um, but I almost didn't get abstinent again. It was, um, it was really scary. I called my sponsor. I told her what I'd done. I got up the next morning, um, absolutely convinced I was going to stay abstinent. And between my house and my work, I was already binging again. Um, it is an absolute miracle um, that I that I got abstinent again, and um, I was coaching softball, and 
um, they kept being I kept wanting to get back so I could go binge and it we would it would start raining and we'd have to go to the mound and they were going to cancel it and then it would stop raining and we'd keep playing and long story short by the time I got back and got dropped off I was it was 10 minutes into a meeting which was across the street and I walked into that meeting it was the first time I said I was a food addict and I really understood that and let me tell you I worked those tools in 1998 I got a calling card I made calls from pay phones um, I moved um, I moved to Providence Rhode Island I got up at 6 a.m. to get to an AA meeting in Brooklyn New York because I was moving and I needed another meeting that week I I did whatever it took I called strangers I drove to Boston which was in the middle of boot camp graduate school which felt crazy but I drove to Boston I got to meetings took me um, two and a half hours sometimes to get there it's an hour drive it took me sometimes two or two and a half hours to get there in traffic an hour to get home and I went um, I just did it I've walked through so many things and been given so many gifts in this program um, I met my husband I got married abstinently I went through infertility treatments I got pregnant with twins I was on six and a half weeks of bed rest and let me tell you the only way I got through bed rest was one day at a time and you know what it wasn't that bad it was not that bad my number got out there and I got more phone calls from people around the country and around the world um, because they knew I was there I couldn't keep up with my phone calls um, but I did it a day at a time I was like for one day I can lie on my side on the sofa and watch the television <laughs> um, and uh, I learned those things here um, I really feel like I am the person I was meant to be that trajectory I talked about earlier before um, that's not my truth today when my husband and I got married um, we talked about our vows and um, and we talked about in sickness and in health and I said um, I want you to stand by me in sickness and in health but if I choose to pick up food um, and get back into my sickness by choice you know if I get paralyzed in an accident you're standing by me I said but if I go out and eat again and I'm not willing to get abstinent again then I'm not the person you married I'm not the person who sat here and made these vows to you and I, I said that um, and I mean that um, my my husband is the greatest supporter of this program because He's seen me change. I really have so much hope in this program. Um, I just have so much hope. Um, and I'm just so grateful to be here. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.